Welcome to another episode of Duff Shui, the weekly Duff. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Duff or so. This week, we are coming up on the anniversary, on the 52nd anniversary of the, of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on April 4th, which comes out this week on Shabbos. Um, it was a few days before Pesach, as it is this year, um, and Dr. Martin Luther King was on his way to the Heschels, Rabbi Heschels, for the Seder. Pesach night. The night before he was killed, Dr. King returned to one of his favorite passages in the New Testament, the passage of the Good Samaritan, you know, and it's worthwhile listening to that whole sermon. But the point was that the Samaritan who finally stopped and helped the person on the side of the road asked himself not, what will happen to me if I help them? Is it dangerous here? Might I be killed? What will happen to the injured person if I don't help them? And this is also what Moshe said to himself when the calf ran away from the flock and he went after it and found the burning bush. He said to himself, what will happen if I don't follow the calf? Not, isn't it dangerous to leave the flock? Isn't it dangerous to wander around to the middle of the desert? You must wander after the calf, go after the calf. And that's the Midrash says why Moshe was chosen to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Though we are now all cooped up, and I'm here broadcasting from my walk-in closet studio because of the coronavirus that has us all inside our houses, locked up away from each other, isolated from each other, we still have to start thinking to ourselves, coming up on the holiday of liberation, what will happen to those people who I don't reach out to? What will happen to those people who I don't care about if I don't care about them? To those who are most vulnerable in our society, those who have no place to shelter or isolate. Those who are incarcerated, who are detained, who are ill, who are old, who are poor. So we are starting on the top of 19A, Baba Batra, 19A. I am Aryeh Cohen, if I didn't say that. I'm happy to guide us through this daf, the second line down in, in the uh, edition that was originally published by the widow and brothers Rome in Vilna lo these this century and a half ago, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we start this sugya, well, last week's sugya was more of a theoretical sugya in which we talked about the different vectors of thought around injury and who was responsible for injury, whether it was a person who was causing the injury, person who the injury was caused to was responsible to moving away from the injury based around both our Mishnah and also this uh, dispute between Abaya and Rava about building a cistern next to the borderline of the property. If you remember, we ended that on a wonderful ambiguity. This week is much more of a kind of a workaday sugya. We're working our way through the various uh, categories in the Mishnah, the various uh, items um, and that are listed in the Mishnah that we had back on, on 17a, uh, the Mishnah which listed all the items that could not be built right next to the borderline or right next to the, the wall at the border of the property, the other person's wall. So we start with below Nivrachet HaKovsin and not a... Laundry pit. Now we'll see that it's not a simple laundry pit in a minute. Amar Rab Nachman, Amar Rabba Barabuha, Rab Nachman said in the name of Rabba Barabuha, Lo Shanu Ella Minha Mechamtsan, Aval Minha Nadian Dal Namot. It's only a certain type of laundry pit, which is only three Tvachim, 
but a, the other type is fourth rochus. What are these two types? And the mechamtsan is a pit where which is a soaking pit. But mechamtsan, it's a it's actually a pit in which they used to soak leather mainly in dung, dog dung, or chicken dung. Later on, uh, Rashi points out dog dung. Um, but in the history of tanning, this for the longest time, dung was used as a certain type of agent because first it, it was used to get lime out of the leather, because lime or some, some type of lime was used to get the hairs out of the leather. So if you wanted smooth leather, you had to get the hairs out of the leather, and then you soaked it in dung, and you got the lime out, and then you got really, especially smooth, especially kid gloves, which are very smooth leather gloves, were actually soaked in uh, dog dung. So uh, no longer, though, but if you buy, if you have, if you own kid gloves, you can just... Uh, reflect on the fact that they might have spent a good portion of their life, early life, uh, soaking in dog dung. Um, and so that, if it's a laundry pit with that's used to soak leathers, so that could be three tfachim from the wall, because all it does is it sits there and soaks. But the nadyan, that is the pit in which you, you scrub clothes, you need four amot, because there it spritzes all over the place. Uh, it uh, sprays, and therefore... It, you need more place away from the wall, so it won't. So the water or uh, the water and everything else that's in there doesn't go on to, doesn't spray onto the wall. Tani Namihachi. We also have a brayta that says that the laundry pit is for a moat away from the wall. But what about our Mishnah, which says that it's three tfachim and not for a moat? Rather, let, we hold like uh, Rav Nachman, who distinguishes between two types of pits, the soaking pit and the, the washing pit, the scrubbing pit. And there are those who put this as a kind of a contradiction. It says that the, that the laundry pit has to be three tvachim away from the wall. And well, what about the Breita Arba Amot? That it says that it has to be four a mode away from the wall. Amrav Nachman, Amrav Abu, Alokasha, Kan Minham Mechamtan, Kan Minan Nadyan. And then Rav Nachman comes in the name of Rabbi Barabu and saves the day by saying, No, this isn't a problem. This is from the, uh, the soaking, the soaking in the dung pit, and this is from the scrubbing and the spraying pit, the scrubbing pit, which ends up spraying water all over the place. Then the Gemara continues, Rabchiyah. Braid Rav Ivya Matni La Behejan Rukhir Braid Rav Ivya says that the Mishnah actually says this explicitly Ella Imhir Chik Imkain Hir Chik Misvat Mechamtsan Vila Kotel Gimultvachim. Unless he distances the lip of the soaking pit from the wall three tvachim. So Rukhia Braid Rav Ivya has this already in the in 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 the Mishnah. Okay, so we move on. It says in the Mishnah, all these types of things, you have to distance them from the wall and visad basid, and to put plaster around them. This type of, not modern plaster, but this type of, you know, kind of plaster thing. So the Gemara asked the question, which we saw in the Mishnah in terms of the variants in the manuscripts. Does it say visad basid? You have to distance it from the wall and add plaster? Or perhaps you have to distance it from the wall and 
put plaster on. All right, so there are two there are two side by sides. Right, you have the first one is that a person that all these things the shiach the mara the the different types of the aqueduct the uh, laundry pit you have to take away from you have to distance it from the wall of your fellow and side by side and put this plaster in and then there's also the second one which is the gefet the zevel the melach the all these type of garbage the um, leftover from the olives and the and the dung and the salt and and that that you also have to distance from you from the fellow from your fellow's wall three tvachim and there again we have osad besid so the the gemara here is asking about the first one besad besid ibaylu besad besid snan odima osad besid snan is it is actually does it say besad besid and you have to put plaster or you have to or, or does it say or put plaster so you have to either distance it or put plaster. Pshita divisad besid snan. So it's obvious that it has to be, and you have to put plaster. Because if you're going to say that it says you have to distance it or plaster it, then why do you have two different parts of the Mishnah? It should have put it with the second part of the Mishnah together, and both of them are the same thing distance it from the wall or put the plaster on. So the answer, maybe it's because there's a difference between the two categories of damage. The first one, the one that we're talking about, the, the laundry pit, the aqueduct, all those things are damage that's water damage. And the second one is damage that comes from havla, which is heat, that this heats up next to the wall. So Tashma introduces a text which is going to which we're going to use to try to solve this problem of this question of O or V. So Rabbi Yehuda says this type of rocky sand and rocks that that fall apart in your hand in that type of a sandy rock one person digs a cistern on this side one person digs a cistern on the other side on their side on, in their property each one has to distance from the border from the boundary line three tfachim and put plaster in their cistern. Tama de Babayadayim, hello Babayadayim low. So it seems that obviously the reason that they have to put three Tvachim away is because it's 18 inches away because it is this type of loose soil which comes apart. So if it had not been that type of soil, then it wouldn't have had to move it away. But that's also true. That even if it had not been this type of soil, you also would have had to put the plaster on because it says and it needs to mention the fact that it is this type of, of soil that is rocky. I would have thought that since it's this type of soil which is is loose, rocky, loose soil, uh, that it would have needed more space. So therefore, it teaches us, no, it only needs three tfachim, because perhaps, since it needs more space, because it doesn't settle as easy, or something like that, or the characteristics of the soil. Okay, so we finish there. Marchikinita, we go on to Marchikinita, Gefet, Veta Zevel, Veta Melach, Veta Slim. So this next part of the mission is talking about all these types of detritus, leftovers from the olives, the dung, the salt, the rocks, and the plaster we put and pile 
three Tvachim away from the wall, and you have to plaster it. It's not Hatam. So he's going to make, take a, raise a question from a Mishnah there, and there is in Masechet Shabbat. What are you allowed to literally hide, but put undercover on Shabbat? In other words, if you have food and you want to keep it hot, what materials are you allowed to put it under so that it doesn't, so that the material doesn't heat it up and cook it? You want, you might, you want to keep it hot, but you don't want to cook it because you're not allowed to cook on Shabbat. So there are certain materials that are mosif hevel that add heat to the food, and there you're not allowed to do it, but you're allowed to put it in something that might keep it hot because of the heat of the food, but won't heat it up more. So, ein tomnin, it says, ein tomnin lo begefet, lo bezevel, lo bemelach, lo besid, lo bechol, ben lachin, ben yveshin. So the Mishnah says, and this list should be familiar, you do not, you're not allowed to place the food underneath the leftovers of olives, like the, the pits and the skins, dung pile, salt, kind of plaster, sand, whether it is wet or whether it's dry, all these things. Okay, so it's the same exact list, just about. But why is our list have, instead of sand, rocks? And there it has sand and not rocks. Our list has rocks and not sand. Their list has sand and not rocks. It really says, well, it's simple because people don't usually put some, put food underneath rocks. So Abai says, that can't be it because do you think people normally put food underneath bolts of, of wool and uh, uh, pieces of dyed cloth? And it says, that, and still, the Brighton says that you are allowed to put your food, put the food, keep the food, keep it hot underneath bolts of, of wool and combed out pieces of wool and cl- dyed cloth and the tears of cloth, old cloth that you put together. And But, but these are things that you're not allowed to carry on Shabbat, meaning that they're not things that actually have any use any utility, um, but still it says that you're allowed to hide underneath them. So Abayah is saying it has nothing to do with what people normally would uh, cover things with, because who would cover things with this? So Abayah says, rather, what we're doing here is a, a type of limud, which is called yagid alavreo, meaning an analogy, kind of an analogy. Here it says, in our uh, Mishnah, it says rocks, and also sand, right? Yagida Lavreo, he will it will tell us about his friend, right? Tanahatam Chol Huadin Lislaim. There it says sand, and that's also the same law in terms of stones. So there's no the difference between the two lists, the one has sand and one has stones, is just it's just saving space. Because when you say sand, you know obviously also stones, according to Abai. Amalai Rava, Iyagida Lavreo. So Rabbi said to him, really? If you're going to do it that way, if you're going to say the, that this one thing obviously implies another thing, so we could actually save a lot more space than we just have to write one thing. And one, we put one thing here and one thing there. 
and a different one there, and then we'll know all of them. You just put, so you're saving a lot more space. You're saving a lot more language. El Amarava, Rava said, no, that's not the case. This is the case. Hatam hainu tama, so Rabbi says, no, the reason there that they didn't write slim is because a cella, you wouldn't hide underneath a cella. Why, why wouldn't you put it in a cella? Because it'll, it'll rust the pot. And here the reason is that you didn't put sand here because sand, it has this property that it heats up that which is already hot and it cools down that which is cool. So therefore, if you put sand next to it, it's not a problem to put sand next to the wall because the whole problem with putting these things next to the wall is because they're hot and they will damage the wall with their heat. But actually, sand has a property that if the walls and it's a stone wall, so it's cool. So then the, the sand will cool it down. But near Boshaya, hole. So, okay. But actually, in the Tosefta, which is following our list from our Mishnah, which says all the things that you have to distance three Tfachim, Rabbi actually lists sand. So therefore, this whole thing, this whole discussion, both Rabbi's answer and Abaya's answer, doesn't make sense because Rabbi Shai says actually in our case, sand is one of the things you have to take into account. Hatam bimatona. So the Gemara says, no, that's talking about wet sand. Tanadidan nami litnei matona. So our Mishnah should also, which is the so should also list sand as wet sand. Hatanale amatamayim. So I said, no, because it already says amatamayim, and amatamayim is wet, so therefore damage by damage from wet things we already know. That doesn't make sense because it doesn't only say amatamayim. It also said it doesn't only say an aqueduct, which has we're worried about damage, water damage on the wall, but it also says nivrechet a laundry pit. Which also, so it has two things that are water. So why doesn't it? Why can't it list also wet sand? Hanot Tzrichi say no. We need both the aqueduct and the the laundry pit. Because if it would have just put the the aqueduct or the water channel, that's because that's there. It's not moving anyplace. But a laundry pit apparently it's not permanent. Rashi says maybe the guy is deciding not to be a launderer, or Perhaps a laundry pit is something that you, you you only dig for when you're doing laundry, and then you next week you dig it in a different place. Who knows? And if it would have just said the laundry pit, because the water is being held there. So if the water is being held there, so then it could do damage because it could seep through. But in a water channel or an aqueduct, the water is rushing through, so therefore there's perhaps less chance that it will damage off to the side. So we need both in the Brechet Kosin, both the, the laundry pit and the water channel. And therefore, um, they had to list them both. And the fact that they listed them both, still, uh, there's no reason for them to list wet sand uh, because that's uh, understood. All right. This week's podcast is brought to you by Goop. Goop. It works. When Job was struck with boils... After his children were killed and all his property was destroyed, when he was rolling on the floor in the deepest existential and physical pain, and his wife, Mrs. Job, had just told him to curse God and die, and his friends all lined up one after the other to tell him that, yes, after all, it was his fault. As Job was about to demand justice from God, to deny God's righteousness, if only someone had brought him some goop. One's over the body and like new. Job would have gooped once, had a cup of coffee, and been back bantering with the buds. And God could have just taken Satan out for another round. Goop. 
It's what will take care of that god-awful pain. And I mean that. So now we're going on to the next part of the Mishnah. So it says in the Mishnah, we have to distance seeds and plowing. And also, we'll get to this soon, a urine from the wall, three tvachim. So the Gemara says, Zraim, seeds, you have to distance seeds from the wall, three tvachim. So what do you need it for? You can learn that, derive that from the fact that it says plowing, the plow. So what else do you use a plow for if not for seeds? So if you're going to plow, you can obviously do seeds or seeds. If you say seeds, you're obviously going to already have a plow. So you only have to have, only say seeds and you already know you have a plow. But my pole yard, no, because there's a way of seeding without a plow. You just put it in, either you just throw it like Johnny Appleseed, you just walk around and, and throw the seeds, or you perhaps you just push them into the ground. Machresha. Okay, second thing, the plowing. So let's say, why well, you can learn that out of seeds, because what else are you going to plow? You're just going to plow four seeds. If you would have said seeds, you already know plowing. But no, because you could also plow in order to plant trees and not just seeds. So you should have just said water damage and you have to water the thing. And then we know that that's the problem. That uh, Why do they have to list all the rest of them? So the Tana is talking about the conditions in the land of Israel. The verse says that, that it will drink water from the rain, meaning that Eretz Yisrael is a place which is dependent on rainwater. So therefore, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you have to water it, but it will, it will the rain will come down. So therefore, that's not a specific cause of damage that you necessarily watch out for. So the fact that we have this, the fact that this is considered the Zraim that that seeds are considered a tort, a source of damage. This, the implication is that the roots will go out to the sides. And then eventually, because you're going to have to keep them that far away from the wall, because you don't want the roots to go out and damage the wall. Well, that's done. But we have a Mishnah, which seems to contradict this. If one takes a vine and plants it into and, and bends it over and into the ground to get another vine, to get it to grow and, and, and start growing more. If you don't have, there isn't three tfachim of dirt on top of it, then you're not allowed to plant over it. So that seems to say that the point is that the seeds, the roots go straight down and the problem is kilea kerem, that you are going to mix the vineyard the and the, and the, the, the grain, and that's a problem that you're not allowed to do because that's called kill ayin. That's called mixing grain. And it says there in the Brighta, but you're allowed to seed on both sides of that vine that you put under under the ground. And uh, so therefore, it seems to say that we're not worried about the roots going out to the sides. The reason we're not, and we're not worried about the roots going out to the sides because you're allowed to seed right next to the vine. And then you're not worried about this mixing the kilea kara, mixing the grain with the vine. Amar Rabbi Chaga b'shem Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Chaga says in the name of Rabbi Yossi, so that's not the problem. The problem is that if you plant too close to the wall, you're going to dig up the soil and it won't and it, it, it will uh, cause the soil to be loose and then the wall won't the wall will fall down or it'll damage the wall. The wall won't be on as sure a ground. Okay.
we move on in the Mishnah. And you have to, as we said, we, this we mentioned before, you also have to distance urine from the wall, three Tvachim. So you're not allowed to urinate on the wall. So Amar Abba Barbarachana, Mutar la Adam Lashtim Mayim Bitsad Kotlo Shalchavero. Rabbi says, we have a statement there, Rabbi Rukhana, says, a person is allowed to urinate next to his friend's wall. Because when a, an enemy of David, Achav, David cursed him and said, I will wipe out for Achav a mashtin bakir, any, a person who's peeing on the wall, and all of his property that is left in, in Israel. So seemingly... So that seems to say that a person actually uh, urinates on the wall. And we just said that you have to uh, distance urine from the wall three tvachim. So what's going on here? Hatam bishovchim. So there it's talking about not just urine, but actually like a whole vat of urine, water and urine. Okay. So it's an interesting uh, notion because... Rabbi Rochana is bringing a quote-unquote proof from this curse, that a person is called a mashtin bakir, a person who, somebody who urinates on the wall as, a, you know, is a derogatory term. And then that's being used as a proof that people urinate on walls as if that's a halachic proof. Tashma, lo yishpoch adam mayim b'tzad kotlo shel chavero, elim ken herchik mimenu gimel tvachim. So we have another text, and it's lo yishpoch, lo yatil, in some of the manuscripts. A person should not pour water, and yatil adam mayim means shouldn't urinate, on the side of his fellow's wall, unless he distances from it three tvachim. So hatam nami, the Gemara says, hatam nami b'shavchim. That's also talking about not just urinating, but emptying a whole bucket of urine. Okay, and there's a, that's in the, in the printed editions, that's in parentheses, and there is actually a dispute, well, a, a difference in the manuscripts. Some manuscripts have this Tashma, some manuscripts don't, and just go straight on to the next Tashma. Tashma, which is what we're going to do now. Lo yashkin adam A person should not urinate on, this, on his fellow's wall unless he distances himself Three tvachim. So what's this talking about? Bekotel levenin. This is talking about a wall made out of bricks. So a kotel bekotel avanim, but a wall made out of stones. Bichtei yazik. He has to just move himself away so that he doesn't damage the wall. Bekama tefach. And how much is that? That's only one tefach. Bishel tsunma mutar. And if it's actually a wall that's built on a, a stone that's kind of bedrock, then it's okay. So there apparently bricks that are put together, if you pee on them, if you urinate on them, it actually causes more damage, stones less damage, and if it's bedrock, no damage at all. So this seems to say, but that a person does have to distance themselves from the wall, as opposed to Rabbi Barbarachana. So this is a definitive answer to Rabbi Barbarachana, who's dismissed. So how can we just dismiss Rabbi Barbarachana? He cited a verse to prove his point. Hatam hachikamar. Actually, what the verse says is the following. Even something whose habit is to pee on the wall, I will not leave over. And what is that? Kalba. And that is a dog. So when it says, And I will wipe out of Achav's one who urinates on the wall, it's not talking about a person, but a dog. 
And actually, there's a dispute amongst the interpreters of that verse. Some people think that it means dog. Some people think that it means person. Okay. Now the Gemara is going to take, uh, because it wants to, a turn. It's going to pivot from this fine conversation of urination and dog feces soaking pools to talk about purity and impurities. Amar of Tubi Bar Kisna, Amar Shmuel, Rakik Enoma Ma'it Bachalon. Of Tubi Bar Kisna says in the name of Shmuel that a, when you have two houses that are one next to each other and there is an impurity in one house, if there's a dead body in one house, and you have a window that's a tefach by a tefach between the house, so the, the impurity goes, can flow from one house to the other unless there's some sort of a barrier. So Shmuel says that if you have a piece of, of this kind of a cake, a thin piece of cake, it does not make the window less, because if it's less than a tefach, then it, then it actually is a barrier. My area rakik, So why does it say specifically a rakik, which is a thin piece of cake, even a thick piece of cake? Lami bai karma. Actually, Shmuel is saying a lomi bai, meaning not only this, but also this. Lama bai aveh, keven de ichsi lei We don't need to say a thick piece because since you can see it, since it is edible, it does not nullify the tefach, meaning that it still leaves the whole tefach open, the whole window opening as an opening. It doesn't make it smaller. And therefore, the tuma, the impurity, goes into the next house. Aval rakik, the mamis, ema bitule mevatele. But a thin piece, which becomes disgusting because it, it soaks up whatever garbage is there and then nobody wants to eat it. One would have thought that then, since you're not going to eat that, so it has no use, so then actually it would be part of the border around the window and then it makes the window smaller. And then it is Mavatel the Tefach. It says it nullifies the opening and therefore there's no more opening and therefore the the impurity doesn't pass through. Kamash Malan. So uh, the fact that it says Rakik teaches us that even though it's a thin piece of cake, it does not lower or the, the window opening and the window opening stays the same. And therefore, even if the Rakik is there, the impurity can pass from one house to the next. The typically the Havile Davashuma Kabel Tuma. So um, let's, but so you could exclude that because it is actually something that can become impure. Uh, because it's food. And anything that, that can accept impurity cannot be a block before impurity going from one place to another. And it could accept impurity because it is made with flour and water. That's how a rakik is made. Now, this is, of course, obviously the physics of tuma, which is a whole thing in and of itself, but you have to take my word for it, that something that can become impure cannot block impurity. So they said, Niloj Shenilosh Vimei Perot. So actually, it's because it was made with fruit juice. And something which is made with fruit juice does not become impure. Meitve. So now we're going to continue along this line. Meitve. A challenge is posed. Kupa Malaya Teven. Vichavit Malaya Grogrot Amuachim Bachalon. If you had a box of wheat or a, a container full of dried dates, which are sitting in a window. So question is, does that do those things then stop the impurity from flowing from one house to the next? Ro'in kol she'ilu yinatlu v'yecholin teven v'grogeret l'amod v'fne'atzman chotzitzin v'imlam e'in chotzitzin. So we see if we take the containers and then 
the wheat and the dried dates can stand by themselves, so then it blocks it. But if not, it doesn't, because the containers themselves don't block the tumah, don't block the impurity from flowing from one house to the next. It's only these things, the grain and the dates, which can block it from going from one place to the next. And if they can't stand on their own, so then there is no blocking. But, so why can't the, why can't the wheat, even if it doesn't stand on its own, block it still because it is able to be used for animal feed? And if it's able to be used for animal feed, so then it has some use, and therefore it will block it. Bisaria, when it is rotten. Chazi Latina, so, but you can still use it for clay. Ditpe Kotsi, it has thorns in it. If it has thorns in it, so the way you, you make it into clay is you stomp it, and if it has thorns, you're not going to stop it. Chazi Lahasaka, but you could burn it still. Bimatona, no, because it's wet. Chazi Gadol, but what about if you put it in a very big fire, even if it's wet, it'll burn ultimately. No, we don't worry about a big fire and conflagration because that's not normal. So, but what about dates that can be eaten, right? The dry dates that can be eaten. So that should be a, a barrier. Amar Shmuel said, no, because they got bugs in them. And also Rabbi says, you're talking about actually dates there that were full of bugs and therefore they can't be eaten anymore. And therefore, if they can't be eaten anymore, then they're not useful for anything, and therefore they're not a barrier, and therefore the too much can flow from one side to the other. And here's where we're going to stop. And the the question, I think that the reason that the Gemara did this pivot is because it's also still talking about barriers between one borderlines and borderlines that are permeable and not permeable between one property and another property. Also, I wanted to just make one final comment about the sugya before we finish for today, is that this sugya is actually is a very good illustration of how the Gemara is very interested in the material essence of life. There's no difference here. It's not saying, oh, this Nivrachik Kovsin, this um, laundry pit, which is filled with dung to soften leather, has any less legal validity or halachic importance than carrying on Shabbat or then making Kiddush. It might have some spiritually less significance, but I'm not even sure about that, because it's saying that it is infusing all the material aspects of the quotidian life chores, doing laundry, soaking leather, with an importance because of the fact that it is contained within the, the body of law. And therefore, it must be noticed. And, it, and, and once noticed, then it gets attention and then it is a thing. And it is something. It is not something that's unimportant, but it is something that actually is important and it is important in and of itself. And also because of the fact that there are people that use it, that, that it serves people, that it could damage things, that there are relationships that are built around it, relationships of friendship or animosity between people that are built around it. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Daf Shvui. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. Of course, my thanks again to Ellie Unger-Sargon, my producer, who makes this tape intelligible or listenable. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, Irmiklat. If you liked this sojourn with me through the 
Sea of Talmud, this specific little Sea of Talmud or the larger Sea of Talmud, please go to the podcast page and give me a rating, hopefully a good rating, and even write a comment and even tell your friends. And maybe they'll come next week to our Beit Midrash here in the uh, social isolation coronavirus closet, and we'll learn another Daf Kamara. Be well, stay healthy, wash your hands. <laughs>